This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 236. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending, cocktails, and spirits. Well, this week on the show, we'll talk to Chet Holstein, who makes Kuma turmeric liqueur out of Washington State. We'll talk about this unusual and delicious product. First, let's do a cocktail of the week. The gin and tonic. Oh, how I love them. Just straight up Tangeray with a commercial tonic water is something I've enjoyed, well, longer than I care to admit. But what about variations on the theme? Tonic came about as a medicine many years ago. According to Wikipedia, quinine was added to drinks to protect against malaria. It was originally intended for consumption in tropical areas of South Asia and Africa where the disease was endemic. Quinine powder was so bitter that British officials stationed in early 19th century India and other tropical posts began mixing the powder with soda and sugar. A basic tonic water was created. The first commercial tonic water was produced in 1856. The mixed drink, gin and tonic, was also originated in British colonial India when the British population would mix their medicinal quinine tonic with gin. Some bars these days are making their own tonic syrup, and there are several, there are several companies making high-end bottled tonic for purchase. El Guapo Bitters, based in Louisiana, sent over a sample of their British colonial-style tonic syrup. It's delicious. Of course, with these tonic syrups, we mix with seltzer to make a tonic water or soda. Uh, you might want to mix the gin and the tonic syrup together and give a little stir, maybe with some ice add, uh, to cool it off. You can add the seltzer. A good G&T will be ice cold, so keep that in mind. I read about one bar in Spain that uses a machine to chill the glass with carbon dioxide before they make their G&T. Pretty cool. A little fresh lime juice poured into your G&T is wonderful, or you can modify it with something like Kuma Turmeric Liqueur, as I mentioned. We'll be talking with the proprietor of that company today on the show. Or El Guapo Rose Cordial, which they're up for a 2018 Good Food Award, by the way. Uh, use your imagination. The, oh, and Another option is to serve your G&T with uh, fresh herbs and fruit in a big wine glass the way they do often in Spain. So the cocktail of the week is the reimagined G&T, and I'll leave it up to your imagination to make something delicious and interesting. Our book of the week comes to us from our friends Hazel Alvarado and Lincoln Chinnery. This is Hazel from the Bartender Journey team, and for this week's episode, we have a special treat. The cocktail book of the week review is going to be done by... A good friend and peer in the industry, Lincoln Chinnery, and his background is a cocktail journalist and a bar reviewer. He's a whiskey enthusiast and a gin lover. So best of both worlds, because I know most of you know that Brian is a huge gin person. I am a huge whiskey person. Also a bourbon drinker, eater, intellectual badass, fluent in comic books and sci-fi. He's written for AM New York, Voda, and The Alcohol Professor. And he's the current beverage director for the Vendee Awards in the last five years. And he is doing a guest review for us today. And hopefully we'll be able to get him on as a regular for the Bartender Journey podcast. Welcome, Lincoln. Thank you very much for having me. I'm starting to blush after everything you just said. Ah, well, I, I was going to add partner in crime at event photo booths since there is photographic evidence, but I thought that might be a little bit a little bit too much. Um, as uh, you may recall, um, Lincoln, you were actually interviewed by Brian, uh, what event was it after the whole Tales thing? Black Tail at uh, Pier A. Just trying to remember what, which... Who was, who was hosting that event? It was Amari Montenegro. 
So tell us about what's what's going on with this particular book that you decided to choose. And as a disclaimer, um, your review appeared where? In the, it's on the Apple Professor site. It's okay. under Booth Library Finds. And the title of the book is The Ed McMahon's Barside Companion. It's a little hard to hear, Lincoln. It's The Ed McMahon's Barside Companion. Okay, and we have gotten permission um, to feature it on this week's episode. Um, so how did you end up picking this book? Well, this is its a little fun. So about a year ago, I read this tweet from Dave Wondridge. And uh, if you don't know who Wondridge is, he's a cocktail historian. He's, he's written for Esquire for decades, and the man knows everything about punch and a history of alcohol. Mm. And he mentioned that, like, he found this obscure book about uh, bar games and whatnot, and how, you know, every bartender should read it. And me being um, a Tonight Show fan, um, I've watched Johnny growing up and love Ed McMahon. I, like, I picked it up on eBay for about $8, and I read it three times. And each time, there was just something funny about it, something odd about it, and something something I, I, I hadn't learned, or at least I thought I knew, and then got corrected on it. So, yeah, I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I have to thank Wondrich for pointing this book out to me, because that led me to get that one, and the Esquire Handbook for Hosts, mm-hmm. and the Playboy's Host Bar Book. Ah, maybe we'll add that to our list, because I actually have uh, Brian compiling a list of the uh, books, the cocktail books that you should have in your library. And for um, everyone that's listening, um, if we can possibly get a pitch from Lincoln, I will put that up on the site. But Lincoln has one of the best um, cocktail libraries, that, cocktail book libraries I've seen, actually. Um, well, I've seen part of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I know within our community, when we visit each other, it's like, oh, let me see what books you have. And we all take pictures and say, all right, I need that one. Or can I borrow this one and read it and give it back to you? It's it's like a lend- it's a liquor lending library. Liquor lending, nice. Liquor lending library. Think about it. I, I actually have not seen Brian's library. In mine, this is mostly uh, whiskey-related. Um so one of the things that, that I, I have noticed um, in terms of bartenders, whenever I ask them like, about their books and how far back th- they go, um, is that they are, there are books that are, you know, not, they're not 2017 books. They're books in, from like the early 70s, 60s, and 50s. Um, and you did touch upon this briefly in terms of the fact that this book was written in 1969. So Yeah, it's... I mean, as much as I love this book, it is a, just a clear vision of the culture at that time. I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I've said it in my review. I mean, the book mirrors what the what the bar culture was back then. Mm-hmm. The bartenders wore aprons up to their armpits. Mm-hmm. Patrons smoked cigars and cigarettes inside the bar. Mm-hmm. And women, they were there for entertainment, and the wives were all about punchlines. Mm-hmm. And people of color, completely invisible. Which yeah. is sad. Mm-hmm. But it's something, you know, it's it's exactly what the times were, you know. And, I mean, it's that, 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 Yeah, that's probably like a whole other podcast. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and um, actually 
in Brian's last podcast, he he does mention like one of the uh, recent Bar Institute Bar Institute uh, classes that he he went to. But it's funny as you're saying that it occurs to me that um, a lot of the books that you tend to see that aren't these types of books are really just recipe books, and there aren't there aren't there isn't really a lot of like voice in it, so to speak. But I yeah. guess if you if you really think about it, if you have a cocktail book library that go that dates back and as you're reading the books you can you'll probably see how the drinking culture changes and how well, right correct definitely i mean if yeah. you look at the death and company book mm-hmm. and you see all the definitions and and all the terms it's it's inside the industry and mm-hmm. it takes it takes into account who people are it's not colorblind it's inclusive mm-hmm. if you look at Cocktails in New York, mm-hmm. and that was, I think, in 2000, that's full of New York culture. Yep. Every major bar, no matter what color you are, it's mm-hmm. included in there. And it's, uh, you get to see how the spectrum is included the further you go along mm-hmm. in the book. And I know most of them are just basically cocktail books. These are my recipes, and this is how you should make it. But mm-hmm. it, it's also got a touch of personality. Yeah. So. So, but on the plus side, though, um, you do mention that um, putting that aside and not ignoring it, just looking at least at the parts of the book that you feel, um, as you put, hold some amazing gems. Well, okay, my, I have the one game that's in there that I love and will never stop talking about, mm-hmm. and it's called Concentric Circle Tic-Tac-Toe, which is basically a bullseye with four lines drawn in it, and you basically play tic-tac-toe, X's and O's, so someone gets four consecutive X's or O's. Mm. It's a fun game. I've played it with my girlfriend a few times when we were waiting for a plane. And it's some strategy. And then, like, when you play it after a couple of drinks, it, it gets really complicated. It gets really hard. Uh, okay. But, but I, I see that you also mentioned that um, it lists different bar games, but they use items that you find in most bars, like toothpicks. Yes, Okay. Uh, toothpicks, olives, napkins, matchsticks, like regular everyday items you would find in a bar. You can use for a lot of the games, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was like really cute. I was like, you don't have to bring extra stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. if you have a deck of cards, there are card games in here. Mm-hmm. And then most, there's a few that are just basic number games, word games, just to get your head spinning, to get your mind going. Mm-hmm. And it's a great... I think it's a great, like, icebreaker, especially if you're on a, a Tinder date or whatever. You ah, put down your phone okay. and you so, ask a goofy question. So do you feel as though, since I have not read the book, is this the kind of book you can just kind of actually have at the bar and then as a bartender you can kind of just use it, but also it could be a conversation piece for people at the bar to help start a conversation? Definitely. Ah, nice. If you're a bartender and you see a couple, like, like a first dater and, and they're probably not – hitting it off well, and you say, hey, guys, listen, that's just a little word game. You know, you get them engaged, and then, like, you let the two of them play. Ah. You made a match for the night. Yeah, that's that's a little different than, like, if then most, you know, that this could be something I I think probably they just have to make certain that, they do, that nobody takes the book. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Probably. But, um, and then the last thing that you, that you write here is about, you said there's a history of spirits, but a chapter entitled, When Can I Start to Drink? 
I have to say, out of most of the books that I've read, this is the only one that has a chapter in regards to a younger person asking an older person, well, so when should I start drinking? And and this, this chapter is very clear. Drinking is for adults, and you should do it when you're an adult. It doesn't give you a number, but it says, if you're not mature enough, don't do it. And you know what? I have to respect that. Okay, so thanks for giving us uh, the book of the week, this the cocktail book of the week. Um, I'm going to have to write down and give out the links for the um, other books that you mentioned as well. Um, and I, th- I think you, I thought I saw a picture of your, of your cocktail library. Did you, did you post a picture once of, of the books? Um, I can, I can send you another one. Okay. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to get my hands on some more older, like older books. And okay. I know my next project will be the Esquire handbook for, for hosts. Okay. There's a Q&A section in there in regards to being an attractive man and an attractive woman. Ah, okay. Well, people's minds. Okay. Well, yeah. We'll we'll have to we'll have to somehow get that on the list. Um, just as an upcoming preview, Brian and I are actually doing a dual review for next week. Um, for the uh, Jim Meehan, the new Jim Meehan yeah. book. Um, uh, yeah. I still need to get my hands on that one. Yeah, I I actually went to the event and spoke with Jim and uh, mentioned he he'd already met like Brian. He knew who Brian was. Um, and I mentioned I was working with him, and one of the audience members at that reading at New York Distilling, you know, over at Alan Katz's place in Brooklyn, had asked, is this book for bartenders or is it for regular people and cocktail enthusiasts? And he said, well, it's for both. And when I mentioned that both Brian and I were going to be reading the book, um, I brought up the idea of, 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 you know, maybe I'll do my own review and Brian will do his. And he thought it would be great to see our side-by-side reviews to see yeah. if it held true that a professional bartender could read his book, find it useful, and um, uh, use it. And someone that had no professional training could also uh, use it. So uh, that's an upcoming one. But thank you for this review for Edmund Ma- Ed McMahon's Barside Companion. And I know you got it on eBay, but I think they, they also... So it will probably be tough to get this just in a regular bookstore, right? This is more yeah. like an online thing, unless you just happen upon it um, somewhere. I would I, I'll say this once. If you go to a second-hand store, and that might be the only other way to get your hands on it, because I've seen a few old cocktail books in second-hand stores. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we might we might want to... I'm wondering if, like, maybe we'll in the future we'll also do, a, you know, places to find, like, old cocktail books, like some where people have found, like, some gems. So thank you, Lincoln, and hopefully we'll get Lincoln again as a guest and more as a regular contributor for um, all the Bartender Journey fans out there. And have a good day, Lincoln. I, I look forward to it. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Hazel and Lincoln. Well, I look on Amazon here. It looks like they have two copies left today, being uh, November 29th, 2017. But uh, maybe you'll score one of those copies. But anytime you use one of those links on Amazon, uh, when clicking through to bartenderjourney.net, onto any Amazon link, anything that you buy, and anything you put in your cart after clicking through to bartenderjourney.net, uh, you help out the show just a little bit. This book is only about six bucks. 
buying through a link on bartenderjourney.net doesn't cost you any extra. Uh, one of those Amazon links, but we get a very small commission. Very small, especially on a $6 book. But if you put a couple more things in your cart before checking out, let's say a generous holiday present for your invaluable bar back or your significant other who you probably don't see enough because you're behind the bar too much, you can help out help sh- support the Bartender Journey podcast a bit. Another more direct way to help out the show is to go to our Tip Cup page. And if this show's helped you out at all or has kept you company or inspired you any, in any way, please consider donating to help keep it going. Payments are secure through PayPal and can be one-time or recurring. Thanks, we'd really appreciate it. So let's talk to Chet Holstein. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. You uh, contacted me, and you're, you're making some interesting stuff out there in Washington State, huh? Yeah, I had something kind of uh, kind of occur to me one night, and it uh, seems to be working out. We just hit the market a couple weeks ago, so it's, uh, it's finally getting out there. Turmeric liqueur, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, my wife was doing like an anti-inflammatory uh, kind of smoothie thing, using turmeric and some other stuff. And uh, I don't know, one, one morning I woke up and I had an email from me to me that just said, turmeric liqueur question mark. I do not remember sending it, let's say. <laughs> I do that too, all but, the time. Uh, it, it turned out to be a good idea. <laughs> well, it's an interesting flavor. I mean, it's a, it's a, like a, um, what, a root? Or I don't even know what turmeric is exactly. So, so turmeric, we call it, we call it a root liqueur just because it's simplified, but uh, it says that on the label. But um, technically, turmeric is a rhizome, which means it's a sub-extension, a subterranean extension of the stem. <laughs> okay. You know, now we're getting complex. <laughs> It's a root. And uh, do you har- harvest it up there in, in the uh, in the northwest, or, or where do you get it? No, we pull ours from, uh, well, I got, uh, I've done a few different batches. This one that we did here, uh, it was professionally made. We contracted production, and they used uh, a little bit from India, a little bit from uh, Kauai, and a little bit from California, which are some of the main areas. There's also turmeric in, in Costa Rica, and even Australia starting to plant some, but we, we just used the first three for this batch. Well, you, uh, yeah, I think there's room for that, sort of these unusual flavored liqueurs you know because you can make some interesting drinks with them without um you know it's all shelf stable and it's all all the flavors there so i I think it's i think it's an interesting category for for making cocktails yeah for sure that was uh you know one thing that really jumped out to us once we we made it at home for about a year and a half just uh not really thinking we do what we did we would occasionally say my wife would say you can do something with this i'm like well i'm like you know i got my job whatever didn't really know like where to go with that like Long-time bartender sommelier, but um, it just seemed like a kind of a... I didn't really know what to do with it, right? And then uh, eventually just decided to really branch out because it's it, it it's really great as a shot. Honestly, that's how we tend to, to drink Kuma. And uh, it mixes really well, too, though. Like, I, I struggle to find things that it doesn't mix with. Mm. Uh, we put it in gin and tonic. We replace Cointreau or Triple Sec with it. We use it as a replacement for uh, sweet vermouth, like in Manhattan. You know, put it in uh, uh, margaritas. She puts hers in sparkling wine, like a like a mimosa. It, it just mixes uh, surprisingly well. And we felt, I, I thought, what what is like that? Like what what mixes really well and shoots really well and is sippable at room temperature? And I I really was racking my brain. But over the years, I don't think I've ever encountered something like that. And it just kind of uh, fell in our lap and. So well, let's go with this thing. Let's let's make it a real thing and make it exist and put it out on the market and share it with people. It's got a nice thick uh, feeling in your mouth, but uh, it's not it, it's it's not overly sweet like you think it might be based on that you know on that on that viscosity, which I like. It almost comes off like a it, it almost tastes sweeter than it really is. Like we we we, we only use like a, a three to one or sorry four to one uh, simple syrup cut, so it's really not that bad. There's maybe maybe three three and a half three. 
three and a half, three and a quarter ounces of uh, sugar per per bottle, which really isn't that bad at all. But it, I think it's kind of it's got that light earthiness, like you're saying, that mouthfeel of the turmeric root because we do use raw root and we don't fine or filter it. We just rack it. So there is particulate, like some small particulate in there. But I think uh, comes comes across the tongue a little bit as uh, almost like a mild starchiness. So it gives it kind of a feel of, of having uh, uh, more body, you know, yeah. without actually having to be that sweet. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I put a little bit in my gin and tonic. I'm having it right now. It's very good. Hey, me too. <laughs> I actually got this really only cool. one o'clock on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's five o'clock somewhere. Not, not here yet. Almost. Yeah. I throw a little grapefruit peel in mine just because it seems to, it seems to bend well. I find that a lot of people seem to, uh, they feel like there's a, maybe it's because of the, the color and there is a citrus note. We do use grapefruit peel and dried lemon peel in the, in the mash bill, if you will. Um, and, uh, it, I think some, sometimes people feel it's orange. They think there's orange in it, you know, which is like a combination of grapefruit and lemon, I suppose, and plus the color of it is orange. But, uh, yeah, we put grapefruit peel as a pretty common, uh, pretty common garnish we use for it or, or lemon peel. Tends to, tends to brighten it up quite a bit. Turmeric is something you might find in um, either tonic or, or gin, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's a cousin plant to ginger. It's got that kind of rooty, like, earthy brightness to it. It's almost, a, you know, used as a spice in curries and things like that. Um, yeah, it, it, can, it can kind of match in that same kind of category. Sure, palatability. Cool. So uh, let's hear a little bit about your time as a bartender. Where, where was that? Uh, I bartended a bit. I started... Uh, let's see, cut my teeth in the late 90s in Seattle, kind of north of Seattle, Washington. Um, then we moved north. We're up here uh, in a town called Ferndale, which is a pretty small farming community. We're, we're just north of Bellingham, which is a little bit bigger, but we're about 20 minutes shy of the Canadian border. This town, maybe 15,000 people at the most. Um, but uh, there's a lot of amenities, and we're right between Vancouver and Seattle, pretty, pretty split, Vancouver, Canada. I worked up here uh, overlooking a marina. Uh, for quite a while, and then I went to uh, a local casino, uh, travel casino, and I was the maitre d' and sommelier. I ran that restaurant for maybe seven years, a high-end steakhouse, more wine-focused, but we did have, uh, actually, we had something that's kind of cool a lot of bartenders don't get to do. We, so I was wearing a tuxedo for seven years, and I was making cocktails off of a rolling martini cart. That's so we cool. drink orders and bring the cart over to the table and make the drinks right there next to the table. I love so that. You don't really see that very often. No, no, that's kind of an old school. That's like a like a 1950s kind of deal, kind of thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're old school. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's kind of, sort of an extension. To, as a bartender, you always had to switch out. You didn't know what the drink was ahead of time, so you could switch the bottles you were going to bring with you, you know, and you'd keep some right. extras because people might change their mind. It's, it's a unique uh, footprint. <laughs> four square four square feet in a circle trying to make drinks. <laughs> Oh, really? Four square feet in a circle? I mean, it was just a little tiny cart, you know? Like, it had a top shelf and a bottom shelf. It was maybe 20 inches across each one. I mean, you know, I had to, be, had to be able to get through tables and stuff and, you know, wheel it wheel it by during service. <laughs> it was fun, though. It was cool. That's why I consider myself still a bartender, even though the last seven years was really more sommelier. But, I mean, I was making, I was making drinks. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I'd, I'd love to uh, do more of that, you know, drink preparation on the floor at my, at my place. You know, it's just a little tricky. You know, some, some of the servers, well, won't get into that. But, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it would be, uh, it'd be really cool to, uh, to do more of that out on the floor. Yeah, sure. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a good place. And then uh, just to kind of improve my family life, I left there and, and went to uh, switch to retail briefly, uh, doing wine, beer, and spirits at a local high-end grocery store. Uh, ironically, I spoke more about wine with my guests at the store than I ever did in the restaurant, but uh, 
you know, what I found is from running a restaurant and working like 70 hours a week and then suddenly working, you know, 39 hours and mostly just kind of standing there talking to people, my mind opened up. And that's kind of, I think, where this idea came from because uh, Kuma, a Kuma Tumor Kukur kind of popped into my head. That email I sent to myself was maybe three weeks after I'd left restaurants, after 20 years in restaurants. You know, three weeks later, boom, this idea. <laughs> I'm like, where, where was that yeah. all? Yeah. Well, it's easy to get caught up in, yeah, I'm working 70 hours a week and I got, you know, I do nothing but eat and sleep and work and that's about it, you know, and then... You try to eat and sleep, yeah, <laughs> and <so>. family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to hear a little bit more about uh, being a sommelier. That, uh, actually, we're working on getting a, a uh, wine an, uh, wine guest on the show very shortly, So, but uh, I feel like a lot of bartenders, uh, myself included, are really focused on, on spirits and cocktails and our wine knowledge is not what it should be. So how, how did you, uh, first of all, how did you educate yourself on that? Well, I did, like a lot of songs, you do mostly, well, I started mine, let's see, 2006 and 2007, I kind of was really getting into it. So back then it was still, it wasn't quite, uh, Somalia wasn't quite as popular as it is now, um, or well-known, I should say. So it was mostly self-study which still remains a large part of it. But uh, they had just started um, an international Somalian guild, which is an education program that around some cities that had just begun. So I took those classes. I did that for about a year and a half. And simultaneously, I got into the, the real world leader, which is the Court of Master Somalias, CMS. And they, that, that's almost entirely self-study, uh, along with uh, peer groups, you know, the tastings of people. It's a lot of knowing people and and they will help you you know like you got to put yourself in the right groups right i mean that was everything from i mean we were putting we were tasting three or four times a week you know eight to ten wines at a time sometimes beers sometimes beers uh there's a cigar aspect there's cheeses fine wine or, or fine uh dining in general you know a lot of french uh it's, it's some there's an there's an edge of uh, kind of chef culinary aspect to it uh service of course is a, is a huge thing uh, proper service, formulated service, the psychology of guests, you know, like how do you, how do you, which is what I think the bartender, a lot of bartenders that become sommeliers like that tends to be kind of a path line. Yeah. Because there is that read your guest kind of uh, aspect to it where you've, you know, you've got to be able to figure someone out like fairly quickly, you know. <laughs> yeah, it comes to you uh, in- instinctively. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, drawing, reading wine encyclopedias, which are surprisingly not as boring as they might sound, and uh, drawing the maps of different regions, coloring them in and, you know, taping them on my dashboard. <laughs> I mean, at one point I was for about three and a half months, I was a good 40 hours a week of study. Wow. Like solid study, 40 hours a week on top of working. And then, you know, flashcards in the pocket, my tuxedo, I had flashcards in my pocket all the time. Any, any spare moment, <laughs> there was always a flashcard, like run through the regions and get the details. What are the laws? What are the laws? What are the laws now? What were they? What they, you know, what will they be? But there is a, a lot of people think that Somalia is really, it does have a wine focus, but it really, there really is a lot of, uh, we cover everything. I mean, wow, I didn't realize that. All manner of, of beverage, sake, and tea, and coffee, et cetera. Wow, that's cool. And, but it's a big commitment to uh, become a Somalia, yeah? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, mean, I didn't even, I don't, I don't think I even really like tapped it. I'm level two certified through CMS. My ISG is a diploma level graduate, but. I mean, people that do like advanced level CMS or even the masters themselves, like master sommelier, there's only, you know, what, 230 or so in the world yeah. ever. And I mean, yeah, those yeah. guys, well, they know 10 times what I ever knew. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've forgotten more than I would ever know. <laughs> so I don't know how much, I don't know how you cram that much information in your brain. I, there's, I don't know. There's something like 
enjoyable about it. You know, it's like uh, I, I have a lot of friends that are into like his, they're history buffs. They just really love history, and to me, it's just it's, it's fairly boring. That you retain nothing that you're bored of. You know what I mean? Like if if you don't if you're not entertained, well, you're not remembering it. Right. It's like they're remembering people's name trick. You know that one from from uh, hospitality and restaurants. Like yeah. People say, oh, I can never remember people's names because you don't care. It's not like your fault, really. It's just like the things that you care about, you will remember. If you're enjoying it, if you really want to know, it'll stick easy. You don't even have to do anything. You don't need a mnemonic or any kind of re- repetition. It just sticks, you know. I mean, wine encyclopedias, they're not like, let's see. I mean, there's maps. There's little anecdotal things on the side. There's, it's very pic- pictural, you know. Mm-hmm. There's they're visual, I should say. I mean, right. it's... And it's usually told by someone who's a cool personality, you know. So you're reading this book and you're like, it's a wine encyclopedia, but it's totally not. You know, it's like sitting in a bar with this guy that just knows a ton of stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool, man. I won't, I won't keep you too long, but uh, I appreciate you sending the bottle along. And um, I'm glad you reached out. Best of luck on this stuff, man. It's delicious. Yeah, we're only we're just western Western Washington right now, but we're uh, we're branching out. We just like I said, we just hit the market. We're pretty small production at the moment, but we're going into phase two and and working on reaching around, getting it out there. Let us know when you get into uh, other markets, and we'll let people know about it. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. All right, interesting guy and interesting product. Hey, so we're planning a show dedicated to my and many bartenders' favorite drink, or one of them, the classic daiquiri. I'd love to get you involved. If you'd like to record your favorite classic daiquiri recipe or a story or uh, just anything anything about the daiquiri, I'd love to put it in the show, hear your voice in our show. You can use the voice recorder app on your phone. It records pretty good. Just hold the uh, phone right up to your head like as if you're making a phone call. Your instinct will probably be to put the phone in front of your face like this and talk directly into the microphone. But as you can hear, that doesn't sound so good. So just hold it up to your head just like you're making a phone call. And, uh, yeah, email me that file, brian at bartenderjourney.net. We'll use it on the show. Thanks. If we have any listeners that work with a rum brand and you'd like to send over some samples for us to play with, please get in touch. You can use that same email address, brian at bartenderjourney.net. So get your input to me, whatever whatever you want to say about the daiquiri, the classic daiquiri. Uh, get it to me by December 20th, 2017, and we'll shoot to release that episode as the first Bartender Journey episode of 2018. Hey, December 5th is Repeal Day. Great uh, day for bartenders and the bar business alike, and... Uh, that's, of course, the day that Prohibition was repealed and lots of great events. I know the Tampa Bay chapter of the USBG does an incredible event. If you're anywhere near there, uh, their, their big gala will probably be on the uh, f- on the Saturday before the 5th. And there's um, Washington, D.C. USBGs putting on a big party. I know there's a party at um, Redemption Rye in Brooklyn. So just uh, look into it if you, if you can make it to a, re- a, a repeal day party. Uh, you'll have a lot of fun or throw a party at your bar or your house thanks for listening my name is Brian Vincent Weber here's our toast here's to our guest friends of our friends is double our friend here's to them cheers we'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast with an eye on December 5th work is being rushed in distilleries and bottling works thousands are being called back to work in plants of allied industries at least 500,000 new jobs are predicted as a result of repeal.